Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. On the tops of the San Bernardino Mountains in Southern California lies plants that exist nowhere else in the world. The Pebble Plains ecosystem is more than a million years old. It's an old expert at adapting to a changing climate, yet it's dying out faster than ever before. KCRW's Kaylee Wells brings us this story about the last of an ancient ecosystem and the people trying to save it. You have to get down on your hands and knees to really appreciate Timothy Krantz is squatting among small, hard rocks beneath the blinding light of the unprotected sun to look at a thin blanket of plants that dare to live in such an unforgiving home. He's an environmental studies professor at the University of Redlands and the expert on the Pebble Plains. They've existed here for at least a million years, and in that time, they've experienced perhaps a half dozen ice ages. During ice ages, the thick clay soil would freeze and push out tree roots, leaving room for these teeny tiny plants to take hold. The biggest buckwheat plants aren't more than a foot wide and their silver leaves shine like a jacket reflector. They share space with flowers in full bloom that are just two millimeters, roughly the thickness of a dime. Bright red petals, long skinny leaves that look like spiders, flowers that form a perfect white circle, all within arm's reach as we sit crisscross applesauce on the top of a mountain 7,000 feet above sea level. The biodiversity per square foot of this pebble plain can easily exceed 20 species. It's unrivaled. They're so resilient and perfectly adapted for this environment. As the climate continues to warm, more than a third of plant and animal species face the threat of extinction in the next 50 years. Paleontologist Myrene Belisi says this level of extinction isn't new, but this time around, it's caused by humans. She's the curator at the Raymond Museum of Paleontology in Claremont. As a planet, we have gone through five mass extinctions over the last hundreds of millions of years. And, you know, we are undergoing a sixth mass extinction at the moment. So for a million years, the climate changed and these plants froze and thawed and thrived until they face a new problem. 
and you're standing. Actually, this was mitigation for that, what, 160 homes, I think. Jim Miller is the unofficial leader of the effort to save the Pebble Plains. He wrangles all the nonprofits and agencies working to preserve it. He says 15 years ago, the biggest threat was a local real estate broker who saw the treeless, flat surface as a perfect place to build. In the end, the Pebble Plains were saved, not by scientists, but by the housing market. Uh, there was some wildlife conservation money available, and they did an appraisal, and he was fairly happy with the amount. And the economy wasn't really supporting that type of development at the time, and they sold. The housing market crashed, and the Pebble Plains survived. Now it's surrounded by fences and signs begging hikers not to touch them. All of that would make for a happy ending for the Pebble Plains, but... Even where they're fully protected, we're seeing that they're dying off right in our midst. Krant says as the warm days get warmer, he's seeing half the plants just die. During summer months, it'll exceed 140 degrees. You could literally fry an egg on it. And so these resilient plants that have survived for a million years are only now starting to succumb to climate change. And this time, there isn't much else he can do to save them. It's incredibly sad. I, I feel helpless that what can we do, even when these are protected and fenced and, and fully secured, we're losing them. I've spent most of my life trying to work on protecting this unique ecosystem. To Krantz and Miller, the thought of losing them forever is a tragedy. Belisi, the paleontologist, says, yes, it's bad news for the species that fall victim to extinction. But she feels confident that life will go on. I think that the fossil record shows us that life does recover if we let it. I don't really have any doubt that it will re rebound from this sixth mass extinction that is happening right now. As for Krantz, he knows he can't protect the Pebble Plains from climate change. But that won't stop him from trying anyway. For The California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Big Bear. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of The California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. During the holidays, many people spend time with their loved ones and also enjoy food that is celebrated in their cultures. Think tamales for Latin American families or the Feast of the Seven Fishes. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi says Japanese American families often celebrate the new year in their own way, with mochi. Many Japanese families take part in the annual tradition of mochisuki. That's the pounding of rice to make mochi, a Japanese rice cake. In San Jose's Japantown neighborhood, it's been a tradition for decades. 
we view Mochizuki as kind of a uh, an intergenerational project where where we're handing down this tradition that uh, maybe started in Japan, came to the United States, grew up on the farms. That's Dale Sasaki, chairperson for the Mochizuki event in San Jose. Mochi is often eaten as part of ozoni, a Japanese soup. I remember growing up in San Jose and eating that and other traditional Japanese food on New Year's morning. Jane Kawasaki is board president of UI Kai, a nonprofit senior center in San Jose. She says along with eating mochi, it's traditionally used as a good luck charm in Japanese households. The belief is that the Shinto gods dwell in the kagami mochi during New Year's. And so that's why you see, you know, two two mochis and a and a mandarin orange in many households, anywhere where you want to bring the good luck from the gods. San Jose's event is taking place today. There will also be a Mochisuki event in LA's Little Tokyo neighborhood on January 8th. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. And that's the California Report for Thursday, December 29th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. Stanford Healthcare, where their greatest reward is a healthy patient. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed. Dot org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.